All right. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here today. We're going to spend just a little bit of time in God's word before we get to witness a baptism this morning. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2. And as a recap, maybe you're new and maybe you've just been coming for a while. We've been uh, for several months now, been in a series uh, of sermons on the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is kind of a history, an unfolding of what the early church was like, the things that transpired in the, in the life of the church. And so when we compare today here in 2019 on the threshold of 2020, uh, and we look back at that day, we kind of sometimes wonder what, what kind of similar, similarities and the differences. We, we know that, that, that they certainly didn't have the kind of lighting uh, or keyboards that we have today uh, in the early church, but there are some things that are very similar, such as what people deal with. People faced opposition. You may face opposition. Conflict, just like we talked about a few moments ago. But the impact of the gospel and the change that it brings to the life of the believer is not different. Because when Christ comes to live in you, your life changes. Now, even though circumstances may change, um, as our lives get reoriented by grace that God brings to our lives, the question is going to be, how is it that God would have us to live? How are we to keep that framed in our mind? Well, one of the things that we do is we baptize and we baptize out of obedience to a command that Jesus gave us. But when we look at why wouldn't, why then you might ask, why are we going to Galatians then when we're just going to talk about baptism because of this, because the church at Galatia was facing a similar circumstance that we face today. And it's namely this, we have a tendency to add to the gospel. We have a tendency to believe that something else besides Jesus keeps us right with God. Now we may subscribe. Yes, I need Jesus. Yes, I need to trust Jesus. Yes, I believe he died on the cross for my sins. But once I get that in view, then what do I do from there? We start adding things to it. And at the church of Galatia, it got them in trouble, got them in significant trouble. In fact, there was a group of people there that were called Judaizers. And basically Judaizers were individuals who liked to mix law, Old Testament law and grace with Jesus. Because they basically said, oh, this Jesus guy, that's a wonderful thing, but you gotta have the law. And if you keep the law and you got Jesus, all things will be better. Well, the problem is, is it just messed the church up because grace and law do not mix together. They just simply do not. In fact, if you read my preview uh, email, the language in this book is different than the language of the other Paul, Paul's letters to the churches. In fact, this is the letter that he does not call the church with that normal salutation greetings where he'd call them saints. In fact, what he does, he says, he basically says, 
uh, that I'm writing to you grace and peace. And then he jumps right in and he says, I'm astonished at what you're doing. What I contend for any of us is that we don't want to live in such a way where we would astonish someone like the Apostle Paul. We would astonish any gospel faithful church. We do not want to be those kind of people. So what did he have to say about that? Basically, he had some very strong language. Boiling it down to this, if you think that right standing has anything to do with keeping the Old Testament law, starting with the Ten Commandments, he basically says you're deceived. Righteousness is not available through them. Furthermore, he goes on to say that if you think that Jesus plus a list, a list of rules, as if that makes you better somehow than those who are not following those list of rules, again, you are deceived. And again, it was a huge problem then. And I contend that it's a huge problem today because even gospel professing believers I am finding on a consistent basis that they're really good at being legalists. They're really good at saying, do this, don't do this, do this at this time, don't do this, believe exactly this way, or you're in trouble. So Paul has some very harsh language about that. In fact, he says language so harsh that that uh, I think it would be shocking if we really understood the connotation of it. He basically says that if anybody comes along, including himself or an angel from heaven, that preaches a gospel different than the gospel that he delivered, he basically says that person should be damned to hell. Heavy stuff. So we don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be the kind of per, per, person like uh, Paul says that he is in Galatians six fourteen, where he says, far be it from me to boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. So how do you go about doing that? Before we baptize today, before we see a picture of what this is, I want to show you what Paul really wanted us to embrace, what Paul really wants to call us back to over and over and over again so that we do not drift off the true gospel and how we, may, how we must make it play a part in our everyday life. So this is what he says, Galatians 2.20. Actually, I'm going to begin in 19. Look there, just two verses. Paul said, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now on in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, think about that. Just grasp that for a moment. Basically, Paul's saying this, that if you could be made right by keeping rules, Jesus did not need to die. And he died for no reason because there's a standard that you can keep. But we all know that there is no standard that we can keep. In fact, what Paul is basically saying here, that when he comes up against the law, he died to it. The law convicted him and he died 
to it. So he wants us to embrace some things. And I want to just show you real quickly just three things. Number one, embrace. You and I need to be people who are embracing that we need to be separating from the belief that performance pleases God. We need to get that out of our mind that your performance impresses and pleases God. It just does not. And so when Paul talks about this, he talks about death being a, being separate, separation. So if you don't understand what death means, in the original Greek, basically death means you are separated from life. You have no life in you. And he says here in verse 19 that he died to the law, meaning that as the law convicts him, he had to be separated from the law to be made for righteousness. The law was not going to make him right. There's only one who kept the law perfectly, and that was Jesus. And so you and I have got to be people who separate in our mind from any belief that we have that performance pleases God. So it kind of goes like this often for us. We have this idea, like I said, we need Jesus, but we need these laws as well. Now, sometimes when I say something like that, people go, you mean, Brian, I can do whatever I want? Is that what you're saying? That when I trust you, I just live however I want? That is not what the scripture teaches. But the scripture does teach that the laws are good, but they are good to do this, to drive you to Jesus. The law is designed to send you to him. The law is designed to tell you that there is no life for you without Jesus. Are the laws good? Yes, but they do not make you more righteous by keeping them faithfully. Rules and our inability to keep them 100% only serve to show us we're helpless to save ourselves. And any part of you that thinks that God thinks you're a pretty good guy, that God looks down at you, is impressed by how good you are, it's easy for you, it might be easy for you to lose sight of the burning glory of his perfection. And when we lose sight of the burning glory of his perfections, we may drift in the idea that we keep the law as good as anybody else. And as long as I'm a pretty good guy, God's satisfied. We've got to get that out of our mind. And we need to continually to be coming back to the reality that Jesus, what he did is he summed up the law with this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second commandment. When he was asked for one commandment, he gave a second that he says, like it, which means laid alongside it. And that is that we are love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, let me stop here just for a second. I want everybody's eyes. The part of you that thinks that rule keeping pleases God, I want you to get in view that the law was a gift to us. It reveals God's character. But when Jesus sums up for us all the law in, the, in those two things, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, basically Jesus did this. He uncomplicated it, but it also became something much more difficult to execute. 
Because it's one thing for us to believe the right things. It's another thing for us to say, all right, I'm going to love God, but then I'm going to love people who are not like me. In fact, the book of Luke, when Jesus was asked, who's my neighbor? Jesus gives a story of a Samaritan who was unlike the Jews and the Jews despised them. So when I ask you, does your life reflect a love for God and a love for your neighbor? Well, how does that happen? The only way that that happens is being crucified with Christ and no longer living your life. It's Christ living in you. See, the early church, when we're looking at the early church, we need to remember this. Love marked these people because grace changed those people. And grace can change you as well. Secondly, you and I need to embrace that you need a new identity. You and I need brand new identities. One that only comes from the one who can make you new, which is there in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, he's basically saying that when you trust Christ, you died with him. But you did not remain dead. Christ lives in you. And the life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You are brand new because Christ is in you. Death was not the end. And baptism shows this. You die with Christ. You're buried. But we don't hold you down in the tank. You come back up. It shows that there's new life. And we need to practically understand that this new life is a new identity. Christianity was never meant to be a part of your life. Christianity was supposed to, is designed to be a manifestation of Jesus out of your life. So when you start thinking about rules and laws and and rule keeping and somehow that, that uh, God's more happy with people that keep the laws better than those that are not really good at keeping the laws. And God's more happy with the couple who have no conflict than he is with the couple that does have conflict. Have you considered that your identity in Christ, that what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that when we died with Christ at the cross, Christ in, 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 in fills your life and your life is to be made brand new. You have a new identity. So practically, you say, well, Brian, how's that done? Well, it's done by faith. It's what Paul says here, the life I now live in the flesh, meaning the life that he's living in this body. He says, I live it by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's done by faith. Are you living by faith? Do you walk on a daily basis understanding that the life that you now live, you live by faith in the son of God? You live by faith, not by your performance, but by faith that Christ's performance for you and his death on the cross on your behalf, your sin died with him and you are made brand new in him. Embrace that you need that new identity. And so 
That leads us to do this. It leads us to do verse 21. Never nullifying, never setting aside the grace of God. Because righteousness is never about rule keeping. Righteousness is a gift of God purchased by the death of his son and granted to you by grace. If there's anything in our lives, anything that should be the banner of our life is that grace has visited us. Grace has, has filled our lives and Christ lives in us. You say, well, Brian, is that, is that it? Is that the summation of all of it? Is it, is all I got to do is believe? Is that, that the whole thing? Faith in Christ is your starting point. Rules will never make you more right. But understand this, Christ did give us some commands. And this is why we baptize. You may say, well, why do we, do we really need to do that? If, if, if baptism and water doesn't really cleanse sin, what, why do we do this? Because we do it out of obedience, obedience to the divine command, because the church, God's people gathered together in this room today need to remember when we watch others go into the baptismal waters, we need to remember that we died with Christ individually. We were buried and we were raised new. It is a picture of how the gospel has come to your life. And it is obedience. It's a public demonstration. It's not something where you point at and go, well, I'm right with God because I was baptized. It is the thing where you can point at and you say, that says I'm with Jesus. And all that you're going to, all that you're going to hear from today, starting with Nick this morning, he's basically saying publicly, I'm with Jesus. Jesus purchased me and I am with him. So I want to ask you. Are you being obedient? You may have claimed Christ a good chunk of your life, but you've never followed in obedience and being baptized. Baptism will not save you. No amount of water is going to wash away your sin. But what it will do is it will publicly identify you that you are a follower of Jesus, that you've been purchased by him, and you are saying, I'm with him. And if you've not done that, you can do that. And you should do that because it's obedience to God. So even this morning, I want to invite you right where you sit, that first step where you throw open You basically throw up your hands. I talked about your circumstances you carry to this room today. Are you the kind of person today that faces problems? Almost every one of you say yes. If I ask you, are some of the problems that you face as a result of your own hands, your own mind, your own action, your own words. I think you would say, yes, that's me. For the individuals who know that they are sinners by nature and by choice, 
Jesus stands ready to take your sin and to give you his righteousness. We call that the great exchange. Yes, it is that easy for you. It was not that easy for him because he took your sin to the cross. He died for you, but he stands ready to give you himself and to give you a brand new start for you to be a new creation. Baptism shows that. Baptism says, I'm with Christ. So I want to ask you to bow your heads just for a few moments. And I really do want to talk to the person in the room who's thought about Jesus, but to this point has not surrendered their life to him. I want to invite you today right where you sit. It can happen where you are right now. It is a simple prayer. Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? I trust you. My life belongs to you. Surrender your life. Today, it can happen right where you are. Oh, Lord, speak to hearts right now. Draw those who need to trust you. And we celebrate as a church, as we all remember those of us who have followed you in obedience and have been baptized, we remember what you have done for us, how you have paid the price for our sin, how we died with you, and how we are resurrected with you. Lord, bless, bless those who will witness today baptism. Bless those who are being baptized, Lord, for them following you and doing the right and obedient thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.